What up? Hey, 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 hey. Hey, we're back, y'all. And we back, and we back. This ain't the intro. I ain't gonna do that to y'all, all right? Uh, hey, I, I said this in the I was like, am I supposed to preach today? Because I'm just like in tears hearing the people of God sing. But uh, man, it is good to be with y'all. Welcome to our temporary home, okay? Uh, you know how like when you graduate from college and you can't find a job for like three months or three years, some of y'all, right? And you like need a place to stay for a while, you hit up your boy like, hey, yo, can I stay on your couch for a little bit? That's kind of what this is like, all right? Like we kind of on somebody's couch and, and try to figure things out. But listen, we're really, really grateful for Westover uh, for letting us be y'all's roommates for a few months, okay? And so thank you for letting us be your roommates and uh, really, really gracious. And man, it is so good to see so many faces that I really freaking love. It is really, really good to be here. So um, I'm not gonna lie, I already cried, so I'm gonna cry during the sermon today. But uh, it is good just to be hearing the voices of God sing out about the goodness of God together. And so I pray that your souls are refreshed and God has sustained us through a lot this year, hasn't he, y'all? Like you think about it in your own personal life, in the life of our church at large, like he has really sustained us in many different ways. He's good to us. And shoot, y'all have been faithful in a lot of ways. And I'm really encouraged at where we are and where we're going and what we believe that God is doing in the midst of everything that's going on. And so this is just a soft launch, all right? And so we're gonna save the hype hype stuff for Easter next week, all right? Uh, but I do want us to uh, just realize what the Lord has been doing and how he's really more than just sustained us, but he's actually stretched us and challenged us and even grown us as the people of God. I mean, even as a church, like a, a literal, the well church, we have grown in the midst of COVID without actually having a home, which is kind of wild when you think about it, Right? Like the Lord has been moving despite us not really having a place to be stable, he's moving still. And so I don't think that's because any one of us on the staff team is super dope. I don't think it's because our church is cool or, or there's something going on. Like I really think that God actually wants to move in our church family to see his name exalted that he would be known amongst the nations. I really believe that he's gonna move in and through this body because he's already been proving that in the midst of a time where it seemed like there was an unmovable force of COVID. We couldn't progress forward. We have. God has been moving, y'all. And so I want you to be able to realize that. I just really believe that God is going to do something that will allow us to uh, really make impacts and make deposits throughout this nation that will invest in eternity. I think he wants to use us in light of that, that he wants to plant churches and, and, and see churches planted here and overseas. I love, love, love that the day before we gathered, our social media post was actually about a church plant that we're doing. It wasn't about us regathering, it wasn't about the size of the world, it was about the multiplication because we don't celebrate growing, we celebrate going. And I love that it was one of the most liked posts that we have because we're about that, y'all. We don't really think that there's anything significant going on here. We just wanna see the multiplication of the Lord's name amongst the nations. I believe that he's allowing us to raise up minority leaders because there's a significant thing that we get to do as a diverse team and we're seeing more and more people multiply. We wanna expand that in a lot of ways and I think he wants to do that through us. I think he wants to see marriages restored and friendships that would be had that would uh, multiply Christ in our own hearts and in our own lives and that Christ's likeness would be built. You know that whole torch burning down Campbell thing? Like I believe he really wants to do that, y'all. And so I wanna be a part of being used to do something significant on this earth that lasts more than 80 years. I wanna do something eternal. 
And each of us get to be a part of that. And as we are working to make much of Jesus, we are doing that, y'all. We're doing that. And I'm excited. So lots to celebrate. We'll save the rest of it for Resurrection Sunday next week, all right? We're going to see baptisms and new life be, uh, man, really celebrated and highlighted. We're going to see new physical life because y'all been busy over quarantine. We got like 30 kids being dedicated, all right? And so uh, I do pray, though, that today there would be a refreshment and a nourishment in our souls, particularly as covenant members, as the family of God who has called this church their home. And so I don't think it was a mistake, but the text that we are in, the first week that we're back together, is actually the last text written in the entire Old Testament, Now, there's a small chance that Joel or Malachi were technically finished like a few months after Nehemiah because they're contemporaries. But regardless of that, this is the last historical book and potentially the last book in the whole Old Testament. I don't think that's a mistake. God is sovereign. He knew that we'd be meeting here and kind of wrapping up Nehemiah in this sense. And I also don't think that it is a mistake that the chapter is set up the way that it is. Because if I could have chosen what we would have preached, I would have preached on the chapters that we have been reading for the past several weeks. Because they happy to be together, right? They hide, they crunk in this mug, right? Because I'm happy to be here too. But I think as you heard from the portion of the text that Amanda just read, like, they ain't crunk in this mug, all right? We talking about sin, right? Dudes wilding, people are tripping in here. Nehemiah's Kimbo slicing, Mike Tyson and dudes up, all right? Like, this is not the happy-go-lucky text. And when I looked at this, I was like, straight up, Lord? Like, this is what we gonna preach on the, the, the first week back? We're gonna talk about how wild and ratchet we are as the people of God? And yet, here we are, right? I don't think that that was a mistake because this whole book we've been talking about gaining vision and and really trying to hear the voice of God and to meditate on what he's saying to us and through us and to hear him in our lives. And I pray that over this series, you have heard the voice of God. You have gained vision for this season or maybe even for your life or you've at least desired to hear from God and understand how to posture yourself so that you can hear from him. We've been seeking vision, trying to understand how to hear God more clearly. And then I realized that, man, if we actually receive vision from God, then we have to know how to cultivate and how to steward and really in some ways how to bottle that vision. Because it's real easy to be hyped for a moment and then to slowly but surely lose that fire and let it be a flash in the pan rather than solid roots that are planted by the streams of living water. And that's what we want the solid roots that are planted by the stream. And what we saw even in this book is that it looked like it was a book about wall building at first and slowly but surely we realized this had very little to do with the wall and everything to do with worship. That Nehemiah was desiring to see the people of God worship God. That's the main theme throughout this book. And so here's the deal. Over time, I realized we can easily forget about the importance of worship. And so I want us to fight for worship, y'all. We can so easily forget and allow it to be a flash in the pan because we are a people prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God we love. And we're quick to stray away from the things that we know. It's easy for us to forget about the importance of worship. In fact, I think that there is nothing that the enemy tries to attack you in more than seeking you or seeking to get you to lose the value of worshiping the Lord your God. For this is why you were created This is where your heart comes alive, is in the worship of God. And so I believe the enemy wants to do everything in his might, will, and power to distract you from that. 
and to get you to neglect the worship of the Lord our King. I don't mean worship and singing and songs, so that's a big part of how we remember the worship of our God. I mean lifestyle worship. Our whole lives surrendered, surrendered around making much of Jesus. And that's what happens when we gather. We remind each other as that. And so as a covenant family, and for those of you that are watching online, but particularly I would say for those of us who call this our church home, this is a great warning of how easy it is to neglect this, to forget about the importance of worship. Because see, today and next week and in the following week and next month, it's gonna be easy to feel energy because we're back around one another, right? And it's a little bit easier to lift our voices and to sing and to remind our souls of the goodness of God. But we are like the Israelites, like the rest of humanity, we're forgetful people. And if we forget and if we start to allow the sin to creep in, then slowly but surely we will lose the very thing we were created for, the worship of our God. And if as members... If we can hold on to this value, y'all, if we can bottle this up, and if we can keep this for the rest of our church, if we realize the dangers of losing worship, if we can fight for worship, y'all, if we can fight for it in our own souls, and if we can fight for it amongst the brothers and sisters in Christ, if we can fight to remember worship, then I believe that the vision that you have as an individual and the vision that we have as a church, it will come to completion because the vision is to worship our King. It is to exalt the name of our God, and if we remember that, we will see the vision completed. Contrarily, if we forget it, we'll see the vision fail. Because even if we plant a 1,000 churches, if we're not worshiping Christ in the process, what is that for? The worship of God is what we were created for. And so I pray that that would be what we see in the midst of this, and that even as you're watching, when you come back and as you join the family, that we would seek to kill these enemies that would neglect us to worship our God, both the enemies within and the enemies without, and that we would mix our excitement to gather today, mix with this zeal and not lose it over time. In fact, I pray this would be the least hype that we have ever been to gather. Y'all talking with that? That next week and the following and on and on, we'd be more alive in Christ, that we would not grow older, and as we grow older, lose wonder and awe of God, but that as we continue to grow and develop, our, our, our hearts will be rooted We'd be a worshiper of our king. So three enemies, you see them on the screen there. There's the corporate enemy, there's the private enemy, and there's the communal enemy. I pulled my Juhan out and did a three-point sermon today, all right? I thought it'd make me pretty short, I went longer in the first gathering, so watch out, all right? The first one we're gonna look at, the corporate enemy. Amanda already read the first part for us, but this is what this whole kind of first section, verses four through 12, is about. And notice in verse four, you see Eliashib. Y'all remember him? He was actually the dude that who began the building of the wall in chapter three. He's the first person mentioned, the first one that started going to the work that Nehemiah had, this vision. He's the first one that put his hand to the task. He's the priest, actually. And in context, Nehemiah, he left Jerusalem for a few years to resume his duties with per, the Persian king. And now Nehemiah came back, and he actually left our boy E in charge, all right? And he left him in charge, and the dude was bugging, all right? He was doing evil in that sense. He came back to chaos. Eliashib was not acting like a priest or even like a Christian. He was wilding out here, which a really important note for us because he was really godly in chapter three. 
is that just because you are walking in purity today does not mean that you cannot fall into evil and sin tomorrow. Just because your souls are on fire today does not mean that you can't lose that tomorrow, family. It's easy for us to slip, as we just said. We have to always be on guard. Or am I just talking to me this morning? We have to remember this. And then this dude lit Tobiah in, okay? And look, there was a room that was for the grains and vessels and the offerings. It was a storeroom. Like, you know, them storage containers or like them storage units that you can rent, right? Like, that, that's what this was, okay? And Eliashib, look what it says there. He prepared a place for Tobiah, it says. He's the one that took this action. Y'all remember Tobiah, by the way, right? He was the enemy of God in chapter four and six. Like the one that was the most hostile against Nehemiah's vision, one of the biggest enemies of God, now he's just chilling in the temple, y'all. Like hecky no. This dude is tripping, right? Like the high priest, don't, don't miss this, not a normal dude. The high priest just let this dude roll in here. Like my guy, right? Like what is going on here? This probably isn't the most uh, appropriate pastoral reference, but it reminds me of the Chappelle show, if y'all grew up watching that. <laughs> and there's an episode where uh, Rick James is up in Charlie Murphy's house and he kicks up his muddy boots all up on his white couch, all right? That's what this is like, if you know that reference. If you don't know it, don't go look it up. It ain't sanctifying, all right? It's not a pastoral reference, okay? Uh, one of the things that I want us to grow in as Christians, though, is the, the importance of the corporate gathering that as we corporately come together to worship the Lord our God with God's people, we would see the value of that. Because you see, Eliashib, he did it, and he turned the storeroom into a guest room for God's enemy. Think about that. The enemy is always trying to find a way into the household of God. Well, y'all can talk by the way. Y'all remember that? I want us to, actually, because I believe that the preaching of the word is just an extension of worship, and when we worship, we use our voices. So we can talk when we hear that. Listen, we need to realize the reality of that, that we need to be a worshiper of God, because if not, man, the enemy is going to sneak his way in. He is always trying to find a way into the family of God to disrupt worship. We have to realize this. Why do you think one of the biggest pleas throughout the entire New Testament is for unity, y'all? Over and over and over again, there's this pleading of the Apostle Paul that we would be unified as the people of God because the enemy wants to come in and divide us. He wants to drive a wedge and use all of these silly things to create these fractions because if we're unified, we get to make much of our king together. But if we're disunified, if we neglect the corporate gathering, our souls will not be flourishing the way that God has created them to. We have to realize the value of this, that the enemy wants to get into the middle of your marriage and drive a wedge. The enemy wants to get in between your friendships, in your community group, in your fellowships, and, and divide. Sin wants to creep into your temple, your soul, and wants to move out the holy things and turn what was a storeroom for the place of God into a guest room for Satan. Wants to use your flesh to get you to forget the value of God. This is true individually, this is true relationally, and it's true corporately as well, y'all. I wish I had one witness this morning, this afternoon. I gotta get used to saying that. It's like dinner time. <laughs> notice also, notice, look at verse 10 there. 
the people who were called to be doing ministry, they can't do it because ain't no one's hiding, all right? Y'all see they're, they're on the screen? The people aren't bringing the, the things to God. Now, now, tithing, that's a sermon for another day. All right? But that's the enemy of worship too, right? Because the people, they're not able to lead corporately because they're not getting paid to do it, and so they can't take care of business. And so there's no corporate gathering that's happening. The, the priests, the Levites, the singers, they just all went back to farming because there was no provision for them. And so Nehemiah is heated, y'all, and he takes Tobiah's stuff and he throws that junk out the temple. You see it there on the screen? Like, he takes it and he tosses it out into the streets. I, I grew up in the hood, and so uh, people were often evicted from their homes, unfortunately. And I would remember coming home from school and just seeing people's stuff all over the sidewalks, Right? And you knew what they meant. They ain't pay rent for multiple months. And you know, there was always like that one guy who would come in and take this dude's PlayStation and they couch, and it's like, bruh, he already down. Why are you gonna do that to him, right? Nehemiah evicted homeboy. That's what's going on here. And then he confronted the leaders in verse 11. And he challenged the leaders as well, was like, hey, yo, why ain't Anthony getting paid to do worship? And they're like, uh, 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 uh yes, uh, see what had happened was, and they kind of stumbling. And then you look at verse 12, and everybody else starts bringing their tithe. Like, yo, we don't want that smoke, right? And so they all start giving their tithes. And like, we, we're trying to get away from Nehemiah. By the way, the Bible's fun, y'all, right? Uh, if you don't read it as that, you're reading it too scholarly sometimes, okay? This is like a, a novella, a telenovela in here, all right? A soap opera, okay? And so what's the point? What's the point of all of this? Well, the people had forgotten the value of corporate worship. And the leaders, they were complicit, unfortunately. And Nehemiah had to fight so that the people would remember the value of worshiping God corporately again. Application, don't forget, y'all. Don't forget. Because it's easy today, but what about a year from now? We have to fight to remember what happens when the saints of God are gathered together. The corporate worship of gathering of the people of God is so important, y'all. And if you missed that over the past couple of weeks in the book of Nehemiah, I would encourage you to go back and listen to those sermons as well because Nehemiah was over and over again laying out the significance of what happens even to our souls when we gather together as the people of God but there will always be enemies that try to have us forget the value of gathering together corporately. Enemies on the outside and enemies from within. And we have to fight to gather together because it shapes the people of God. It shapes us. And so we see this temptation to neglect worship corporately. But it doesn't just happen in the corporate gathering. It actually happens in the private gathering as well. If you go to uh, verse 15... We see him kind of shift gears here, and he says this. In those days, I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also, who lived in the city, brought in fish of all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. 
The second piece from verses 14 all the way to verse 22 is talking about private worship. It's talking about the importance of the Sabbath. The people, they were neglecting the Sabbath. They were just doing whatever they wanted to do on that day. Now, the Sabbath was designed by God to be a time to pause and to slow down and to remember God. It was supposed to be a time of worship. to to think about and to meditate on the Lord our God. But instead, the people wanted to keep their businesses moving and and running and kind of neglecting God slowly but surely. They began to just operate as if Sunday was just like the rest of the days or Saturday for them, right? And we haven't been Sabbathing either for a lot of us, many of us for some time. We haven't even met in groups. There's, there's been a neglect, even culturally, forced upon us in some way to neglect the Sabbath and to forget what that means for us privately in our own souls. And it can be easy, instead of setting aside time with the Lord to reflect on him and to think about him both daily and weekly, to just kind of get on with business, right? And just kind of continue moving with all the other demands in our life and to neglect the worship of our God and not realize that slowly but surely we're moving completely out of the rhythm of worship. The Sabbath was meant for us. And see, that's the thing with worship, y'all. It's like not working out or not being active for a while. You don't notice it if you just miss it a day. If you miss it a week even, But month by month and year by year, you begin to slowly but surely realize how hard it is to to get reactive again because of how easy it is to fall into complacency and being unable to do that even. And the same is true with worship. Not producing a lifestyle of worship, it will slowly but surely erode your soul. It'll erode it. Slowly is the key word there too. You're not gonna notice it right away but slowly but surely it will. Nehemiah, because of his zeal for the Lord, he fights against this for the sake of his brothers, fighting for them to individually and privately be able to worship God. In fact, look at verse 21 there. He says this. He says, but I warned them and I said to them, why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. (laughs) Oh, all right. From that time on, they did not come in on the Sabbath, right? And by lay hands, by the way, he ain't talking about in a spiritual sense, like, bless you, all right? He's like, lay hands, or at least like, lay hands, all right? They can catch them one twos. That's kind of why I like Nehemiah, y'all. He's kind of hood in this joint, right? Hey, yo, Nene, that's who he is, okay? And so I love this, right? Nehemiah, he's setting an example, though, right? He wants to fight for people's private lives, for our souls to stop and to rest and to meditate and to remember the Lord our God. Even this idea of Sabbath, Haven't some of us kind of made that like about us rather than about God? Like Sabbath kind of turns into what's good for you, what's good for me type of idea, what makes me happy, that's what my Sabbath is, okay? And without doubt, God does want our joy. He wants us to be filled. He just knows what fills us, it's himself. But a lot of us have used our Sabbath day as kind of a personal errand day or like a personal suntanning day or something, Instead of allowing it to drive us back to the Lord, our God, who loves you, family of God, he is where you find joy. He is where your soul is fulfilled. And the Sabbath was meant for you to seek God and to re-trust God again, knowing that slowly but surely you are prone to wander and you need to remember God again, to rest in him and to recharge in him and to renew in him, to refresh your soul in him and to re-fall in love with the God of the universe who loves you, that we would love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, 
The Sabbath is not about us, it's actually about him, but in making it about him, it's where we find our wholeness. It's where we are fulfilled. And so Nehemiah here is making sure that there's an intentionality in seeking God, both corporately because of what it does and privately because of what it does for our souls. And we have to continue to recall because if we do not, we will make room for sin and we will eventually forget about God. We have to privately fight, y'all. The last enemy is a communal enemy, okay, or a relational enemy. The difference between the communal and the the corporate is the corporate is like what we're doing right now, the the corporate gathering. But by communal, I mean like relationships, right? Like one-on-one or small groups and things like that. This is also a place where the enemy tries to attack us. Pick it up in verse 23. It says, in those days... Also, I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them, and I cursed them, and I beat some of them, and I pulled out their hair. Ha <laughs> <Hey>, ha, nee, nee. And I made them take an oath in the name of our God, saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. A quick note here, because Nehemiah is getting more and more hostile throughout this book, okay? I just wanna make sure we get this right. Nehemiah just ain't flying off the handle, right? Like, he just ain't out here, like, pulling dudes weave and stuff, all right? That's not what's happening here, Okay. In the Old Testament, there was punishments for uh, authority figures when their subordinates were disobedient. And remember, he's the governor, y'all. Like, he's in charge of all of Israel in that sense. It'd be kind of similar to rewind the tape 80 years of uh, back when teachers used to spank the kids in school, right? They were not or should not have been abusive. They were authority figures that would help physically try to put them back into place to recreate order. That used to happen in the Old Testament as well. Shoot, some of y'all needed to get spanked in school. Another sermon for another day. Well, all right. But cultural understanding here, it's really important when you read the Bible, okay? Because most of our poor exegesis and misapplication comes from not understanding the historical context or knowing how to apply it today. And so you can't be out here slapping dudes talking about some righteous anger. <laughs> that ain't what's happening in this context, okay? And so Nehemiah, the one thing we do see, though, is he's not passive, right? Because a lot of other dudes, they were passive when sin was going on. They were not taking any active response. In fact, Eliashib was just letting this stuff happen. But Nehemiah, he begins to move into action. So while he's not abusive or doing anything culturally weird, he's also not passive, He moves when he sees sin. Now, we may say, hey, what does this have to do with communal worship? Well, if you remember from the sermon a few weeks ago, marrying foreign women that had nothing to do with race or culture, had everything to do with worship. Even notice here in verse 26, it gives commentary for us. It says, did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations, there was no king like him, And he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. And so marrying into foreign contexts, because of the communal nature of that culture, it meant adopting their religion as well. 
And so when you gave your son to a foreign woman, then it was likely that they would try to bridge their two religions together and you'd have two different religions going on. And when you married a foreign woman, then you would bridge it together and there'd be multiple different things going on. So it has nothing to do with race or, or, or these other cultures. In fact, we see a Moabite in Ruth come into the lineage of, of, of Israel and end up being the great, great, great grandmother of our King Jesus. She was a Moabite, so had nothing to do with that. In fact, in Genesis chapter 12, we see God's heart to see every tongue, tribe, nation, and culture worship the Lord, their God. And so God has always been about the redemption of all of humanity. It has everything to do with worship. It would impact the way the community would worship. In fact, it already has. Look there at verse 24. It says that uh, there, was, there was these people that did not even know the language of Judah. Why does that matter? Because if you do not know the language of Judah, then you do not know how to read the Judean scriptures, which means you do not know how to find the Lord your God. They were unable to even grapple with where we see God most clearly, which is in the word, because they couldn't even read the word. They couldn't even understand what was being said, and so they were missing God in the process, and Nehemiah wanted to bring them back together. You see, these enemies, they entered into the community, in this case through marriage, but that's just true in general, y'all. There is enemies that want to enter in to prevent us to worship God, the thing that we were designed to do. So this whole chapter, it's all about the dangers, the temptations, the potential threats of worship. It enters in through passivity. It enters in through this complicity towards sin, through the deceit of the enemy. And it impacts the corporate gathering of the people of God, the private gathering in your own heart, and the communal gathering in your relationships. And I don't want that for our church family. I don't want us to not be able to exalt Christ the way that we were designed. I don't want the excitement of us getting back together to just be a flash in the pan, y'all. When we gather to worship, I want us to always have in our hearts to remind each other of God's goodness because our souls need it. They need it. This is where we find life. When we have a devotional time, you need it, y'all. The daily Sabbath, you, you need it to remind yourself of the goodness of God. The, the weekly Sabbath, the, the getting together with other brothers and sisters that we might build one another up in love, we need it. Nehemiah, he's fighting that this would be reestablished to remember God's goodness because, oh, how quickly they had lost it. You see, we were created to worship, and sin and Satan and your own flesh is going to try to steal this from you, so you got to get violent against them. Get violent, y'all. I don't know about y'all, but when I grew up, at times I would be like laying in bed, and you know, you're like an eight-year-old, you can't sleep. So you're just laying there, kind of daydreaming, and what I would almost always daydream about is like saving the damsel in distress. I know it's very little boyish, right? But... I would do that. And I'd be laying there, and there'd be, like, somebody in distress, like, oh, I need help. And I would come in and somehow win, right? And I'd feel great, like, look at me, okay? I know how that sounds today, but y'all know that most of y'all done did that too. And I realized what's going on there is that even as a young boy, there was this desire to fight, to to save, to deliver, to, to be like Jesus, And I think that's true of each of us, that there's this fight inside of us, but instead we end up fighting with each other on Instagram instead of fighting the enemy in our flesh. 
And there's all these other things that try to steal us and jump in and divide, and we allow it to divide rather than fighting against it. Fight against it, y'all. There's a desire for the enemy to steal your soul. Kill him. Kill him. Kill it. You have to get violent in this. And so we could end the sermon here and be like, yeah, now let's sing. Let's raise our voices, right? And uh, let's Sabbath. But that's not like us, is it? There's something a little bit more going on in the text. Because if we ended it here, that would be moralism. Try harder to do good for God is what the text would be then. And that doesn't work, y'all. In fact, even in context, just three chapters prior, in chapter 10, verse 30, the people actually covenanted, it's not there on the screen, you can take that one down, thanks. The people covenanted to, inter, to not intermarry. They literally said, hey, we're not going, y'all remember we just preached on that a couple weeks ago. And then in chapter 10, verse 31, one verse later, they actually covenanted to Sabbath. And then in chapter 10, verses 32 through 39, they covenanted to provide for a temple to make sure that there would always be worship. And how'd that work out? Just three chapters later, they broke all them covenants. They didn't do any of this, right? And Nehemiah came back like, yo, y'all are tripping. Y'all are wilding, right? You just broke everything you said that you were going to do. And if we're honest, you and I are the exact same, aren't we? We frequently break these covenants that we make with God. I mean, how many of y'all are caught up on y'all's Bible reading plan? Bible in a year? Nope, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, dang, I feel attacked. <laughs> like, man, it's so easy to like, I'm gonna do it this year, and then we end up breaking it. And if we're honest, if left to ourselves, we allow sin to come into the temple and to make a bedroom there. And we house evil, and we're so easy to neglect the thing that we were created to do, which was the worship of our God, not just in the gathering of the people of God, but in our lives. And the last words penned, y'all, I love this. The last words penned in the whole entire Old Testament. Like, like let's read that together. Verse 30. It says, thus, I cleanse them from everything foreign, and I established the duties of the priests and the Levites, each in his work, and I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. Close of the Old Testament. And then this echoes for 400 years. Remember me, God, for good. Notice, Nehemiah, he realized that worship was his main accomplishment, and he wants to be remembered by God. This isn't some weird text where he's, like, boasting in his works. He doesn't think he's really dope, like, hey, yo, look at me. He wants to hear God's well done, my good and faithful servants. And we should all long to hear that, to hear God look at us and say, well done, your soul was created for that. That's why you bend towards works, because you are created to do good works for the Lord, he established them before the foundation of the world, except we try to find our justification through our works. That's not what Nehemiah was doing. He's not asking to be remembered because he's dope or he killed it as a man of God. He just wants God to remember him for good. When you look at me, God, please see good. And in the end of the Old Testament, 
What is this pointing us to? How do we not end up like Israel here? How do we not just make a covenant today and go, yo, on these last two worship songs, I'm gonna go ham, I'm singing loud today. And then we miss it next week and we miss it next year. How do we not make covenants and then break them? How do we remember God? And even better, how do we be remembered by our God? Was who this whole chapter and this whole book is pointing us to. You see, like Nehemiah, Jesus, he also cleansed the temple of false worship, did he not? When the money changers were preventing the Gentiles from being able to corporately worship the Lord their God, Jesus righteously got angry and evicted them as well. And he threw their stuff out just like Nehemiah did. And we could go on and on and on to show how Nehemiah and Jesus are similar in this context, but Nehemiah doesn't just model Jesus. Jesus is actually the greater Nehemiah. You see, because Nehemiah is able to be remembered by God for good because our King Jesus was forsaken on that cross, forgotten by God in a sense. Even though he had done nothing but good, God looked upon him as if he was the evil one. You see, Nehemiah, in this context, we laugh, but he's laying hands on these sinners and he's ripping out their hair, it says, and yet 400 years later, Jesus would have his hands, or, or sinners lay their hands on him, and they would rip out his hair, and they would beat him like Nehemiah was doing, except Nehemiah was doing it to sinners. Jesus was not a sinner. Why was he being treated like this? by people who assume authority that they did not have over God. It's because our God laid down that authority and he became a man and he died this death on the cross that you and I deserve. You see, each of us are covenant breakers that deserve not just to be beaten by some authority figure, but to be separated from the God of the universe. And yet because Jesus was on that cross and died on our behalf, he was treated like the pagans were here in Nehemiah 13. So that you and I, when we break our covenants and when we do not corporately lift up and remind each other the way we should, and when we do not privately or communally worship our God, we could be remembered by our God for good. Remember me, Nehemiah said. You know the next time you hear that phrase, the thief on the cross. He says, remember me for good. When you're with me in paradise, and Jesus says, today I will. And so for you and I who call out to God, God, remember me, he will. He remembers you, family. And so even if you're walking into this place having an awful year, spiritually, God remembers you if you but take Christ. If you believe in him, if you long for this redemption that is found in Jesus, it is yours, family of God. Nehemiah, he longed for something that he kind of knew about but, but couldn't grasp fully. You and I have the full picture. God, he sees us. I love how this text ends. Nehemiah says he cleansed, he established, and he provided. Jesus also cleansed us of our sin. He established us as the church of God, and he provided forgiveness and the Holy Spirit to us. And now you are the righteousness of God. And in fact, just as Nehemiah provided the wood offering, so Jesus was the true offering that was on the wood for us, the first fruit of our righteousness. 
This is all pointing to Jesus. And if we see him and if we look to him, then we can be renewed. And I pray that's what we would forever be about as a church. That we would always be about how awesome Jesus is. That our boasts would not be in the energy that we have or our diversity or our church planting or any of those other things. That our boast would be we love Jesus. And that our souls would realize Jesus loves us. Would that forever be what we remember and how we realize we are remembered by our God? And so let this not be a flash, y'all. Let this not be just today because we're finally back together. If you're a yesterday man, like, like the, the context makes sense. Of course we're excited, just like they were in Nehemiah, right? When they first got, got back together, remember the choirs that were like praise dancing on the walls? <laughs> like, yes, I want that, y'all. But I want that not just today, but forever. Because we understand the gospel. Let us understand the gospel, amen? Hey, I love you guys. I love you all like crazy. And I get to actually look at your faces when I say that today. Hey, let's pray. Man, Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for being the greater Nehemiah. The fulfillment of the Old Testament, the way that we are remembered. We love you. God, I pray for those of us who are watching online, who are not worshipers of you, who don't know how to be remembered by God, I pray, I pray that they would see they could be remembered by God if they but look to the face of Jesus. And God, for those of us who, who have looked to your face, man, some of us have Tobiah chilling in the storerooms of our minds. We have Tobias just making homes in our hearts. I pray that today we would worship you. That would be removed from us, that you would deliver us from that. And so even now as we practice what we are going to get to do one day in singing and in communion and in fellowship, not just this week or, or this month or, or this year, let this forever be what we're about as a church, God. Let us be a worshiper of you. You are worthy. I love that what Nehemiah is most proud of is establishing places and rhythms of worship for the people of God. Would that be what we are most proud of? Because God, if we plant a thousand churches and yet neglect to worship our God, what did we just do? God, I pray that as we plant and as we are planted as a church, as we establish that we would never forget you and that we would realize that because of the cross of Christ, you will never forget us. You will remember us for good. And so let that be on our heart now and forever, Jesus. We love you. We love you. We love you. Praise in your very beautiful name. Amen.